Good morning. So good to see our faces again. We took last week off. I uh, hope you had some good time with your uh, family and friends as we took a little bit of break. And I'm, I was very, very eager to, to get back uh, to, to our gathering here this morning with all you guys. And it's, uh, I, just, I, I was in the back, I took a picture of all of us worshiping together. And it's just, uh, it just, it warms my heart to see us all, uh, the church gathering together and us warming, uh, warming each other's hearts as we get to gather uh, the church doing that together. It's just, uh, I can't even describe it. I'm even tripping over my words talking about it right now. So, but uh, it's just all I can say. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here with you. Let me just put it that way, okay? So uh, my name is Blake again. I'm one of the one of the pastors here at the Refuge, and uh, I get the honor of preaching the first uh, the first sermon of 2020 and the first sermon of the new decade. So uh, which is a uh, uh, it's not lost on me the importance of that. Now some of you might be questioning, or do I have any of those? The decade doesn't really start until 2021. People in here. Okay, good, I was gonna have to make you leave, so, because that's just weird, okay? 2020 is clearly the beginning. It's a 20, not a 19, okay? So 2020, we're all in agreement that, uh, that this is the start of the new decade. It's the 20s, roaring 20s, whatever you wanna call it. I'm glad to be here. So, um, so since this is the, a new start of a new decade, we all agreed already, uh, what we're, uh, our pastoral team spent a little bit of time uh, maybe trying to think of maybe some new things we could do for the new decade. Uh, so we decided to start a new sermon series that we're calling 2020 Vision. And uh, the tagline is, you don't need Jesus, or you don't need glasses to see Jesus. Okay, that's a terrible idea. We're definitely not going to do that. So I'm trying to give you a little bit of the uh, behind-the-scenes look at this. So, uh, so maybe one of the other ideas we started kicking around is uh, maybe what we need to do is move our gathering time back to the evenings, like we did at the beginning of Refuge, to 8.20 p.m., which for our Navy families, what time is that? It's 2020, okay? So maybe we should move our time to 2020 in the evenings. Y'all like that idea better? Okay, scrap that, we'll stay at 10, okay, forget that. So our, our best idea that we had so far is what we're gonna do, we're actually gonna bring in a guest speaker and maybe have her do a couple of commercials for our church uh, based on her famous tagline, I'm Barbara Walters and this is 2020. So um, what do y'all think about that? Is that a better idea? Okay, well, so far she hasn't returned my emails, so, um, so I'm not sure we're gonna be able to do that, but I'll, I'll keep you posted on that, so... So uh, terrible ideas aside, what we decided to do uh, with, this new, uh, with this new year, this new decade, is continue our study of Genesis. And uh, the bumper video already gave it away, but uh, we are continuing in our verse-by-verse uh, -verse study of Genesis this morning. And uh, so what we get to do is, uh, here at Refuge, if you're new with us this morning, uh, we find a lot of value in taking a book of the Bible and walking verse-by-verse -verse through that book. Uh, it's called expository preaching, and the reason we do that is because it doesn't allow us to skip the hard stuff. Uh, we believe that the entire Bible is, uh, is profitable to teach. We believe it's, it's, it's edifying for the body, every single verse in this book, uh, even the hard ones, even the ones that we don't agree with on the surface, even the ones that rub us the wrong way. Uh, we believe that it's all the inspired, true, um, accurate word of God, and we believe that all of it is profitable for teaching. So that's why, we te that's why we preach this way. We take a book and we preach through it verse by verse, and if, if you don't believe that we don't skip the hard stuff, go back and listen to our podcast where we did that with Romans. Uh, we went verse by verse through Romans, and it only took us 12 and a half years. So it was really great to be able to go through that, but we did, I didn't implore you to go through and listen to that as well. So, so we get to talk about Genesis today, and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to open up in Genesis 5, because we left off, Scott left off back in November and Genesis, uh, finished up Genesis 4, and we're going to pick up at Genesis 5 today. So as you're turning there uh, with me this morning, uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your scriptures. 
Thank you for choosing to give them to us. Thank you for not being a God who created us and then vamped. You're a God who is intimately involved in our lives, and you gave us your scriptures to tell us about your character and ultimately the saving work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us, God. So thank you for choosing to give us this scripture. Thank you for allowing us to gather together and open it together and learn what you would have to teach us about your character, about what you've done for us, and about how we get to continue to love you more and how much you love us, God. So we love you. Uh, be with us this, me this morning. Help me through my stumbling of speech or whatever that looks like, God. But I, I just like Zach prayed, I pray that there are those here this morning that don't yet know you, that you continue to soften their hearts to the good news of the gospel. And that even this very morning, they will come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for them, God. So please do that this morning. We know you're capable of doing that. We boldly ask you to do that, God. And uh, for those in this room who are already Christians, God, I pray that you encourage their hearts. Show them your love for them and show them how much, uh, what you've done for them to remind them of that. Don't let that ever fade in their minds, God. We love you. We look forward to see what you continue to do. We pray this in your name. Amen. So go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 5 with me. And uh, so I know that it's been a little bit of a time uh, since we opened up Genesis together. And uh, so I wanted to give you a little bit of a recap. The good news is, is that here in chapter 5, it's actually a, a natural break in, the, in Genesis where it actually gives us a little bit of a recap of what he's done so far. Uh, so let me read the first two verses with us. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man. And they were created. So... In the first two verses, we get a little bit of a reminder. It's uh, kind of like when you're watching those Netflix shows and it has the, you know, the recaps at the beginning when you're binge-watching all those shows. It has that little uh, skip recap button at the bottom. Whoever made that button needs to get promoted because that, that, that's the American ingenuity at its finest. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, I'm sorry. Unfortunately for you, there's no skip recap button for you. You get to endure this with me, so we're all going to talk about this together. And uh, as we're talking about uh, as in uh, chapter 5 where it gives us a little bit of a recap of what's going on, now, of, of course, you know, we've already talked about four chapters so far, and he, God does not give us an exhaustive recap of what's happened so far. He gives us the highlight, and what he chooses to do is he's reminding us that he created Adam, and he, yes, he talks about that these are the generations of Adam, and we'll see that listed out all the way to Noah, but what's most important is not that we came from Adam, but that we were created in his likeness. So this is what he chooses in this natural break that we see here in Genesis. He chooses to remind us that we came from him, that we were created by him. We were created in his image. So now that we have this little bit of a recap, let me continue reading as we get into this genealogy uh, that he chose to give, give us. So it's picking up in verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam had lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the death days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. When you get to a word you can't pronounce, just say it with confidence, okay? Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and, after, and had sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. 
because he was kind to pastors and decided to name him Jared and not another hard word. Um, Mahalalel lived after, the father, after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, y'all still with me? It's a lot of numbers, it's a lot of names, it's a lot of succession. So, um, so what we have to do is, we have to ask the question, what is the point of putting a genealogy here? I mean, what is God trying to teach us through this chapter five of Genesis? Uh, there's a guy named, uh, an author named Scott Slayton, and he, he actually wrote an article called, How Do I Deal with the Genealogies? So just, right, just hit it right in the face, right? And he has this to say. In a culture accustomed to an endless stream of entertainment, a sermon on a genealogy surely must rank alongside a root canal or a trip to the DMV on the last day of the month. So, yeah, thanks, guys. So, um, even many mature saints skip these passages in their Bible reading or become, or become discouraged trying to read them. So it's unlikely a pastor will create excitement by announcing that the next week's sermon will be on a roster of names. Pastors, as we preach through the scriptures, we must affirm our conviction and the inspiration of it all. Since even a list of names has been breathed out by God, we can be sure these passages show us the character of God, reveal the work of Christ, and builds us up to follow him. So let's, that was a good reminder for me, and I hope it's a good reminder for you. Don't skip the genealogies. There is things for us to learn, even in a roster of names. So I believe that we can learn a great deal about the character of God in this, and and even in a list of names and ages. So what I get to do is I simply get to stand here and I get to share with you some of the cool things the Spirit has been teaching me as I've been studying this chapter of, of Genesis. And uh, so, but what we gotta do is we kinda need to back up just a little bit to kinda bridge the gap of what we learned so far because it does hook into some of the things that we read in chapter four. So to do that, I'm gonna skip back just a couple verses into chapter four and we're gonna read verses 25 through 26 together. So, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So Seth also, a son was born. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Scott, last, uh, last November, when he was preaching this, um, he talked a lot about the comparisons between Cain and Seth. So Scott pointed out that even the, the apparent heart behind the motivations and of the ambitions of these two brothers. The older brother Cain, we see in, in verse 17 of chapter four, uh, he built a city. And, and what did he name that city? Do y'all remember? 
He named it after his son. Yeah, you know, he named it after his son. And then the younger brother, Seth, we see in, in, chapter, in verse 26, together with his son, they called upon the name of the Lord, an apparent return of the generations to righteousness. So we have one brother calling on the name of the Lord, attempting to make great the name of the Lord. And on the other hand, we have a brother calling upon his own name and trying to make his own name great. One brother exalting God, the other exalting himself. This interesting dichotomy that Scott called it, um, it's taken a step further when you consider this interesting observation. The lineage of Seth includes all the fathers and ages. So, so we just read all of this together, and it includes the father's ages when their firstborn son was born, and it also includes the age of when they died. And if you compare that, if you take a look at in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17 to 22, we also get Cain's lineage, but it doesn't include any of the ages, neither when they were born, neither when they died. It just simply says who, who gave birth to who. And it's, it's just really interesting to look at how those are compared together. And, and Scripture isn't clear why one is given and one isn't, but um, a pastor named R. Kent Hughes wrote this kind of interesting, as he observed this, he wrote this about it. The genealogy of Cain gives no ages, since his line being cursed by God, would have no eternal history. But Seth's genealogy not only gives the age of each patriarch at the time of the firstborn, by whom the line would be continued, but the number of years that he lived after the birth, and then the total years of his life. Each individual is important to God's eternal economy. So Seth's lineage we see, Scripture tells us that it returned to calling upon the name of the Lord. And which is a stark contrast to the line of Cain, who is simply full of self-exalting sons. And maybe the reason God chooses to give us the age is because Cain's line is the one that's going to have that internal importance because of their choice to move back to righteousness. And so what we have is chapter 4 focuses on all the generations of Cain. And it shows, it gives us examples of this self-exalting spirit that they seem to have. And one of the biggest examples they give is in the person of Lamech, the seventh generation after Cain. So there's a not so flattering uh, picture of Lamech given to us in Genesis chapter four, verses 23 and 24. So uh, go, go back and read that for me real quick. So verse 23 says, Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So, so Scott mentioned back in November, a few things jump out to us about Lamech, about how he seems to be carrying himself. And the first thing right out of the gate is he took two wives. I mean, that's, for all of us husbands out there, that's a big task in and of itself, right? I mean, one wife is enough, right? But imagine taking two, which just shows a lot about what, how he views marriage himself of the selfishness that we see in that. And it's, it's actually a departure from the structure that God set up in the, in, in the garden. And um, he's the first to practice polygamy. And, uh, but now this is just me saying this, but as I'm reading this, I think there's a little bit more context that shows a pattern of behavior around Lamech with how he fundamentally sees marriage. So, and, and what that is, is how he speaks to his two wives in verse 23. He says this, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I mean, I don't know about you, there, there, there seems to be a possessiveness here in what he's saying. An arrogance, a, a puffed up chest, a sense of self-importance. So not only does he recklessly take two wives, 
out of selfishness, but he seems to treat them as less than the image bearers of God that they really are. I mean, husbands, how do you think that would go for you if you spoke to your wife that way? That would not end well for any of us. I'm just going to go ahead and say that, okay? That would not end well for any of us, nor should it end well for us. I mean, in those words for Lamech, for in his wives, I mean, do you hear any love, any care, any patience, any gentleness in how he's speaking to them? I, I certainly don't hear that. All I see and all I hear from Lamech is a guy who's all about Lamech. And this idea of him is further reinforced when he talks to them about how he killed a guy just for striking him and then brags about it. So this is clearly a guy who's all about Lamech, just stroking his ego. And just as a little bit of a side note there, don't be that guy, okay? Don't be that guy. And I'm not saying this is the big takeaway from the sermon, but you know, it's not uncommon to see things pop up on Facebook and people are like, you know, if you come at me, I'm gonna come at you 10 times harder. Or if you knock me down, you better pray I don't get back up. That's, when we say things like that, are, are, we, are we doing that out of gentleness or are we doing that out of a bruised ego and we have to make sure that people know that I'm a man? Are we responding out of gentleness or are we responding out of our egos? Because, I mean, Lamech talks about someone struck him. What do he do? He kills him. In contrast, in the, what do we hear Jesus say when someone strikes you? Turn the other cheek. And again, I'm not saying that, but it shows the heart of where they're coming from. Are you coming out of a heart of ego or are you coming out of a heart of gentleness and giving something to someone that they don't deserve? Because here's the news, you don't deserve it either. You don't deserve any of it. Jesus freely gives it to us because of how great Jesus is, not because of how great we are. So I had to kind of, I saw that soapbox sitting there. I had to step on it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna step off that soapbox now and kind of get back to what I was talking about. But uh, we... We get the choice every day to show people what the gospel looks like. So don't respond out of ego or out of proving that you're a man. You have nothing to prove. You're already purchased by the blood of Jesus. So now, moving into chapter five, we see God show us the other side of this coin. So we have the line of Cain to Lamech, and now we see the other side of this coin. And, and so Genesis, of course, we all know, is one of the many books of the Bible. It's the first, almost everyone knows it's the first book of the Bible, and it's actually the first book of what's called the Pentateuch or the Torah, which is uh, the majority of the Jewish scriptures that we see here. And, and um, so as, the, as these scriptures were passed down generation to generation, they were actually either written down or they were orally story told from generation to generation. And so as we have this storytelling kind of pattern to how, how this is told, you start to see some patterns come out and how these stories are told. And uh, so one of the cool things we see is um, how, and, and a lot of times you'll see this in how uh, the Jewish storytellers tell their stories is how they'll use opposites to make points. So they'll say, you know, this one's evil, this one's good. Or, you know, one he hated and one he loved. You know, so you'll see these opposites, these extreme opposites compared to one another in order to make a point or to show importance of one over the other. And the reason I say that is because we actually see a really strong example of that here in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter five that we just read. And the verse that, uh, reveals itself actually in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. And um, 300 years and, and had other sons and daughters. So Enoch's here. Enoch's on the scene, right? And, and if, as we're reading this, you, you probably heard some of these patterns as we were reading through this. But what were some of the differences that we saw when Enoch was mentioned versus all the other guys mentioned? Did that stand out to anybody? 
he walked with, so not once but twice, it says that he walked with God. It, didn't, it doesn't say that about any of the other guys, right? So Enoch walked with God. And another really cool, um, another really cool kind of the way they compare these things is simply how they're positioned in the genealogy itself. Now, this might be a little bit of a nerd moment, but just get, go with me a little bit, okay? Because I thought this was really cool, something that I had never seen before that just kind of really blew my hair back as soon as I saw this. So let, let me show it to you because it's really, really cool. So in chapter four, we see that Adam is the patriarch, right? And he gives birth to Cain. And then Cain does this thing and has all of his, all of the line before him. So we have uh, Cain through Enoch, through, Erebeth, through uh, all these guys down to Lamech. Lamech being the seventh generation after Adam. But then what we also see, and here's the cool part, here's where this comparison is made, where we're able to, to, to compare these two sides of the coin. We have Enoch, who is also the seventh generation, but through the line of Seth. And what did it say about the line of Seth back in chapter four? It said that he, they called upon the name of the Lord, that they started again to call upon the name of the Lord. So now we see, even in the genealogy, we see the Lord, through the writers of Genesis chapter five, comparing these two lines, one evil, one good, one calling upon the name of the Lord, one exalting themselves, and we see it even in the individual examples they choose to give in Lamech and Enoch. So I don't know about y'all, I thought that was really cool. I, I, didn't really, I never learned that before, but it's really neat to see how the scripture is comparing itself this way. And uh, so I thought it was really great. So the two lines of the brothers, one walking with God, the other very much not walking with God, but exalting himself and even flying off the handle and sin and killing people just for striking them, stroking their ego. So do y'all see how this is comparing and how we're able to see, compare these two guys together? So now this term that we see here, when it talks about walking with God, this is more, it's talking about Enoch, Enoch. So we're talking about Lamech a lot. Now we're talking about Lamech and it's comparing those two. Obviously, we all agree that Lamech is a bad guy. Lamech, though, it talks about how, just like what you mentioned, that he walked, in, uh, walked with the Lord. Now, when it uses this term, it's not talking about how that he simply went to church every Sunday, or I guess in his case, every Saturday. Or it's not talking about how he prayed a lot or he, you know, he, he read the scriptures a lot. That's not really what it's talking about when it talks about he walked with the Lord. It implies an intimacy with God. It implies an ongoing relationship, an ongoing pursuit of the Lord. And honestly, the, the next time we see someone described this way as walking with the Lord is with Noah. And a lot of us, you know, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that story of Noah, that, that he was, of all the people on the earth, he was, um, he was the guy that God chose to save from the flood that destroyed the world. And, uh, and of course, we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, but it kind of shows you the importance of that Enoch was described the same way, that he walked with God. So this isn't just that Enoch was a good guy. He sought the Lord with eagerness and intention. And according to this, he did it for 300 years. That's a long time. So, I mean, so it's, it's, uh, it's January 5th right now. How y'all doing on your New Year's resolutions? Am I, am I, am I striking any chords there? So... All I'm saying is get on the Enoch plan and do it for three centuries, okay? Because he, apparently he did, okay? I'm not saying he was perfect the whole time, but he clearly walked with the Lord for three centuries. And as further confirmation of the stature of his relationship with God, we see another difference with Enoch among the first, uh, list of names. So not only did it say that he walked with God, but did y'all notice the other difference with him? It did, never mentions his death, right? It never mentions his death, <laughs> Yep, so we see, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
So yeah, he walked with God, but also he never mentions his death. And I mean, if you look at the list of the names, I mean, throughout the entire genealogy, we see this common theme, and he died, and he died, and he died. We actually see it eight times in this chapter, but not with Enoch. In fact, this phrase, and he was not, can actually be translated, he couldn't be found. And so, I mean, think about it. Some of these, these are very, very long lifespans, right? I mean, I don't know if y'all noticed that, but they're really long lifespans. And if you do the math, these lifespans are, most of them are overlapping. There's actually seven of these guys that were still around when Enoch couldn't be found. And Enoch wasn't some distant cousin that you don't think about anymore, right? It's, he was a firstborn son in this line, so he was an important guy. But they would have known about him. And I mean, can you imagine going into your dad's house to like borrow a tool or a, a donkey or whatever these guys borrowed from each other, right? So uh, could you imagine walking in and be like, uh, hey, dad, I'm here to borrow that saw. Dad? Dad, uh, hey, uh, Grandpa Jared, have you seen dad? Where's, where's Enoch? <laughs> Uh, I, I picked Jinger and because I can pronounce that one well. Uh, but yeah, uh, where did he go? I mean, he was just, he just wasn't there anymore. He disappeared. He just couldn't be found because God took him. And if we look at that, what, is, what does that even mean? What does it mean that God took him? Uh, we actually get a little bit more uh, insight on what this looks like. The writer of Hebrews gives us a little bit more information on this. Uh, in, in chapter 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not taste death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So Enoch was taken by God, allowing him to skip death. I mean, I don't know, that's a pretty rare thing in scripture. That doesn't happen all the time. I mean, we know about Elijah and the resurrected Jesus, and, but that just doesn't happen all the time. God doesn't just pluck people off the face of the earth, allowing them to skip death. So, so why did God do that with Enoch? Why did he allow him to skip death? I mean, Scripture seems to be drawing a strong correlation between the fact that Enoch pleased God and that he walked with God as the reason that God took him. So it wasn't a punishment. It was something probably much more opposite of that. God took him because of his faithfulness. Enoch walked with God and pleased God in his intimate pursuit of him. So we see here the generations of Adam to Noah, a reminder of where we stand in time at this point in Genesis. And God has shown us already, even in the first five chapters of Genesis, uh, that this is his living word and how desperately we need him. We already see how we messed up a lot and, and how God lovingly bails us out. And we already see some examples of people who turn away from God in selfish ambition. And we all also see examples of those who pursue the Lord and bring delight to him. Already in only five chapters of Genesis. We already see all this. And you know what? How... How gracious of God is it to provide us with this book? I mean, he willingly and freely gave us his word. He gave us his word. He didn't have to do that, but he did because he is a God who loves us. And he chose to make himself known to us, to his creation. It's just, I don't, I don't, want, to ever, I don't want us to ever lose sight of that, of how beautiful that is. So a few years ago, I had a, uh, I had a pastor that was actually a, a phenomenal preacher. And uh, no matter what he preached, he always had a common question that he would always ask in every sermon that he, I ever heard him do. And this question, he would say, forced him to always make sure that what he was preaching wasn't just an academic pursuit. 
And the reason that was important for him is because this guy was actually previously a president of a very prestigious Bible college um, up north. And it was very easy for him to slip into professor mode and just turn it into a seminary class. So he had this common question that he would always ask to make sure that he didn't do that. And it was this, so what? So what? We read all this stuff, it's cool, it's the Bible, we believe it's the word of God, so what? Why is it there? He asked this question, what does God want me to know and ultimately do in light of this scripture? We believe that it's all profitable for us to learn, for us all to talk about together and read and study, so what? So I'm gonna ask us that same question. What is the intention of God putting a genealogy in Genesis chapter five for us all to learn together? So Enoch was a good guy who pursued the Lord. And it would be really easy for a pastor to simply point at Enoch and say, the takeaway for today's sermon is be more like Enoch. Okay, dismissed. How do y'all feel about that? Meh. Be more like Enoch. Do better, try harder. Be like Enoch. And that's actually, that's not the takeaway from today's sermon. I mean, and, and unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that teach the Old Testament this way, that the point of the heroes of the Bible, like Enoch or David or Nathan or Noah or whoever, is to be more like these guys. Look at the faith or the courageousness or, the, or any of this kind of stuff, be more like these guys. But here at Refuge, we, we don't believe that that's what the Lord is ultimately showing us or teaching us through the Old Testament. We believe that the Bible isn't just a collection of 66 disconnected books about some heroes that randomly show up. We, we believe that it's a whole grand narrative that points to one hero. The only hero who spilled his own blood that was sufficient to save us from our sin. And who is that? Jesus. Sunday school answer, okay? So yeah, Jesus. We believe the entire Bible, Old Testament and New, points to one hero, and that's Jesus. And this passage here in Genesis 5 is no exception. And we can see that at, at the beginning of this chapter. So, so much like at the beginning of chapter five, God takes us to the very beginning to give us this recap. Let me take you back to the beginning of chapter five to show you how God shows us that most profoundly. And that's in Genesis five, chapter one. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So we see this in the first verse. And what, uh, what I want you to do is I actually want you all to read the second uh, verse with me, or the second sentence. When God created, say it with me, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Yes, we are descendants of Adam, but more than that, we are made in the image of God. Even before we're reminded of where we've come from or focus on some of these names in this list, we're reminded that we are image bearers of God. These guys, as they're looking at their own lineage, are reminded that they don't come from Adam, they come from God. They come from as image bearers of God. And he could have created us just like he did the livestock of the field, but he didn't. He made us in his likeness. And he loves us. And it talks about how I, the big takeaway is be like Enoch. And I will say a little bit, be like Enoch and walk with God, but he didn't walk with God simply because Enoch was a good dude. He walked with God because God loves us enough to be near to his creation. God could have just created us and then walked away, but he didn't. He, he didn't just leave us to figure it out. God created us, then stayed near to us because he loves us. Now, unfortunately, we know that, that part of our Genesis story is also how sin enters the world. 
and fractures this relationship. But did God stay near when that happened? Yes, he did. Of course he stayed. God never changes. He never retreats. It was us in our sin that ran away from him. God didn't run away from us sinners. Us in our sin ran away from God. That's what happened. So how did God continue to be near us even in our sin? Well, guess what he did? He got closer. He got closer to us by sending his son Jesus to the world to die on the cross in our sins. He took on human flesh, humbling himself and coming down to dwell among his creation. He got closer to us. And Romans tell us, tells us that he, that's how he demonstrates his love for us, that while we were a sinner, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his love for us. So again, I'll ask the question, so what? What's the big takeaway? In a list of names in Genesis chapter five, the thing I want you to walk out of here is this. Walk with God and pursue him intentionally. Just like Enoch did, but. There's a big but there, okay? Big but. Don't do it out of your own power. Do it because Jesus has been and is currently intentionally pursuing you through his spirit. While you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. Believe that. Believe that Jesus died for you. Confess your sins to him. Confess that you believe that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay for those sins. We're all sinners. But where sin abounds, the grace of Jesus abounds all the more. For those of you who are not Christians, today can be the day where your family tree spiritually changes just like Seth does and you begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Your family tree can do the same thing. Let today be marked the day where your generation starts to call upon the name of the Lord, just like Seth did. And for those of you who are already Christians, which I know there are a lot of us here, this isn't just for the non-Christians. I, I pray that you continue to confess your sin to Jesus and thank him for already paying for it. Of course, I mean, that's not to lead us into a sin hall pass because where, where, grace abound, where sin abounds, grace all the more. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Of course not. But let it be out of liberation of what Jesus has done for us on the cross because that's exactly what he does. So Christian, be encouraged. Be liberated. Let the weight come off of your shoulders. Because Jesus tells us that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The yoke is easy not because it's light, but because he's on the other side of it doing the heavy lifting for you. That's why it's light. So come to Jesus, whether you're not a Christian, and let today be the day your family tree changes. Or if you are a Christian, come to Jesus and thank him for what he's already done on the cross for you. So walk with God not because you're so great, but because Jesus is great. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you, even for a list of names in Genesis chapter five. All of your word is good, God-breathed, profitable for teaching. And God, thank you for even allowing us to see in a list of names your redemptive story that through Seth, through Cain, showing us differences, showing us how you redeem your people to yourself, not because of how great they are, but because of how you created us and how you made us image bearers of you, God. You are the hero of this story. 
and what you have done through your son Jesus on the cross. So God, continue to allow us to worship in that vein, God. As we're singing these songs that are so gospel rich, God, I pray that we can do it out of a joyful, joy-filled heart of the gospel. And God, I pray that uh, for those this morning that don't know you, that you're continuing to soften their hearts with the good news of the gospel, God. It's such a beautiful gospel, and it's an easy gospel, God. It's, it's, a, it's, it's scandalous, scandalously simple, God, that we are sinners, unable to, to fulfill the law on our own, but Jesus does it for us. And your scripture tells us that all we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. So God, I pray that someone does that this morning or this week or sometime very, very soon because of the Holy Spirit's just kneading at their heart and softening it, God. So whether they talk to one of us this morning or they talk to a friend or somebody, God, don't allow that feeling to go away, that pressure they feel in their heart from the Spirit. And God, for the Christians, continue to encourage us, continue to teach us that our identity is not in how people view us, but how you view us, which is covered in the blood of God, Christ and clean because of what he has done. So God, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.